Greetings and welcome to AFPC. I am your host, Ahmed Best. Thank you for listening. These next couple of podcasts are going to be about artificial intelligence. And I've been in a bunch of rooms lately talking about the future of artificial intelligence. And unfortunately, in those rooms, I'm very underrepresented. And what I mean by underrepresented is the conversation rarely focuses around equity and inclusion of people who are um, non-rich and non-white. And artificial intelligence is going to be something that's going to impact the everyday of every human on earth. If not now, then very, very, very soon. And ironically, we are not a part of that conversation on mass. And when I say we, I mean not just people who are non-white, but people who are non-rich. And in order to democratize the future, more people have to have a say in what the future is going to look like. And one of my biggest motivations for doing AFPC is to bring these conversations to light. The end of last year, I hosted an event with the Science and Entertainment Exchange called Science Speed Dating. And it was an Afrofuturist themed science speed dating. And I really loved it because seven scientists had seven minutes to blow your mind. And these next two podcasts that I'm going to be doing are featuring two of those people who were guests at the science speed dating event that I hosted. This first one is uh, a gentleman by the name of Professor Philip Butler. And Philip Butler is a professor at Loyola Marymount University here in Los Angeles. He um, is a very knowledgeable person when it comes to transhumanism, artificial intelligence, and how it affects black and brown people throughout the world. And we talk about artificial intelligence in a way that I have yet to be a part of a conversation with, and that is an artificial intelligence that is 100% biased. And the reason why that's important is because the conversation about artificial intelligence usually comes about with how do we build a non-biased artificial intelligence, an artificial intelligence that doesn't see race, it doesn't see color, it doesn't see gender, it just looks at human beings and sees the equality in every human being. The problem with that is that most people who are programming these things, uh, their baseline is mostly, predominantly, cisgendered white um, male, cisgendered white Western male. And in all of these conversations where we're talking about artificial intelligence and homeostasis, when we talk about homeostasis in human beings, we're talking about the body's internal environment, right? How do you keep the equilibrium of your internal environment, your cells, your your cells, your emotions, your mental state, your well-being, and how that all interacts physiologically with the body. So in artificial intelligence, people are talking about creating a homeostasis in which artificial intelligence knows that internally it has to keep the equilibrium in its body even. So when we're talking about on mass, what is a general idea of internal equilibrium in the body? What is internal well-being? We have to have a baseline for that, right? And a lot of times when we're talking emotions, that baseline is very cultural, right? So if the baseline is built off of one cultural idea of what homeostasis is, there is going to be a culture that is going to be left out. And that's not um, malicious in intent. It's just the way it is. Like sometimes people just don't think about it. And that's what we're running up against with artificial intelligence. So Philip Butler, his opinion is to have a biased, completely biased artificial intelligence engine. And that means an artificial intelligence that knows, for the lack of a better example, that knows you're black knows your experience as a black person in America and can speak to that and help you towards developing a human homeostasis, right? So his idea of artificial intelligence is more transhumanist, meaning the artificial intelligence reacts with the human and creates uh, an environment where humans can thrive and survive, right? Rather than being this 
robot that you can command and tell tell what to do and it does your menial tasks. Uh, so this conversation starts, jumps off with the idea of a biased AI, and then Philip goes into more of his ideas of what transhumanism is and as well as talks about his artificial intelligence that he's coming up with called Seeker, which is a psychological well-being artificial intelligence application. Fascinating stuff, incredibly interesting, and I've already talked too much. Please enjoy Professor Philip Butler. Philip Butler, thanks for joining us on the Afrofuturist podcast. Glad uh, to be here at Loyola Marymount University. Um, it, the campus kind of looks like a big shopping mall. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I want to just kind of jump right in because when we did science speed dating, there was a question that came out about a biased AI, a biased artificial intelligence. And everybody seemed to be talking about um, how they wanted to unbias artificial intelligence and have an artificial intelligence that um, didn't know race or color or creed or anything like that, sexual orientation. And you said you wanted a biased AI. Right. And um, I would love for you to expand on that idea. <laughs> like, what is a biased AI and why do you want one? Sure. No, I think that's an excellent question, uh, mainly because if humans cannot remove themselves from a particular bias, and they are unknowingly or unknowingly inserting their own bias within the artificial intelligence structures, whether it be a basic algorithm, the machine learning, or the neural nets, right, that they are forming, then part of the idea is that we are attempting to utilize technology to make our world different or at least more automated. Uh, but ultimately, the idea, I think, as people project, project it to be, is a better world. But kind of as we were talking kind of off, off mic before we even started, right, if you aren't intentional about the ways in which you incorporate a multitude of voices or a multitude of perspectives in the framing of the very thing that you're trying to construct, then all of these concepts will be ancillary, right? And so we say we want a better world, a more just world, right, a, a stronger analytical world. But if we're not engaging in the type, the type of things that are particular to sex, race, gender, class, so on and so forth, then we are essentially reiterating the very structures that are press multiple peoples in, uh, in, in various demographics already. And so for me, a biased AI is an AI that is intentional about its, its inclusion of these various demographics and perspectives and experiences, but ultimately is biased towards making the world that we say we want. If we want a world that's more equitable, then we need to introduce artificial intelligence structures or cognitive architectures that are thinking about ways to make this type of world a reality. And so if we are running the numbers and engaging in any particular computational analysis, then the idea is that we compute towards disrupting this current uh, status quo. And so if we don't do that, then our AIs are, are merely you know, codifying or reifying or just kind of reinstating the very things that we say we don't want. And so in some ways, we're not really telling the truth. We're kind of lying, right? That we, oh, we want a better world and we're going to use AI to do it. But in many cases, we're just kind of, again, recapitulating or at the very least reasserting the very things that we say we don't want. And, you know, and within like a transhumanist idea, which is essentially what we're talking about here in many cases, like any use of technology, right, to extend life, uh, human life, where the really least augment the capacities of humans. Um, if we don't, I'm sorry, it, the, uh, within transhumanist frameworks, the idea is mainly that like race, gender, class, all these things don't exist and they're not important because there's like some idea of a universal human experience. But the universal human experience is still kind of boiled down to a very, like very, very small, kind of binary or at the very least a limited space. And so the idea is that we need to expand further into what it means to have a multitude of existence. Um, and that for me becomes the beginning of this kind of rebiasing. And then and then on top of that, we can rebias towards like uh, lessening certain criminal, you know, outcomes or I mean, in, in terms of like sentencing, right? Or just kind of thinking along the lines of what it means to you know, be intentional about not hitting black people when you are in a car that's <laughs> an automated, you know, driving system, things like that. And so, you know, again, the rebiasing is is more or less about being intentional about the world you say you want to have kind of manifest. Why do you think we're not thinking that 
when it comes to programming artificial intelligence. Do you think there is an inherent kind of idea that we are all the same? Or do you think that it's just the classic idea that normal defaults to uh, white European Western ideals? Right, no, I think, so I mean, uh, a decolonial analysis would suggest that enlightenment thinking leading to rational humanism, leading to kind of our current uh, everyday life that we have today is still very much so dependent upon the ideals and the frameworks that existed from a Western European uh, male space. So like when we talk about proto-normativity or proto-normative white supremacy, we're really talking about the ways in which like white men have been have maintained this idea of that they are the standard and therefore think the things outside of their own purview or experiences are not necessarily required when thinking about what it means to consider um, multitude, a multiplicity of existence, a multiplicity of experiences, but also uh, it becomes harder to control, right? Because we talk about um, we talk about this in class all the time, or at least in the last few weeks, uh, about this idea of uh, attempting to tame nature. So part of the Enlightenment project was to replace kind of God with this idea of nature, because if God is something that remains completely unknowable in some ways. At the very least, nature becomes something that we we can at least we can touch, we can squeeze, we can pinch, and if we can grab a hold of it physically, then on some level we can we can we can tame it, we can control it. And so, part of this part of the Enlightenment project's kind of uh, move towards progress is still bounded within uh, you know narrowing down a particular type of to a particular type of framework or a particular vantage point or lens that allows us to see everything else. And so, it kind of reasserts itself over and over again. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, in this kind of colonial uh, aspect that does not allow for uh, more variables, because the more variables you have, the less control you can have. And so when we talk about does it always default back to just the basic idea of like white male, Western European ideas, this becomes the very like starting point for engaging in any particular technological modes of progress because the basic idea is that if you narrow down the variables, you can control it. But if you add more variables like race, sex, gender, class, especially within something like AI that we're just kind of getting decent at and we're still pretty bad at regardless, uh, then you make it the pro make the job that much more difficult to even attempt to uh, grow in it. So the idea, I think, kind of like some of the projects that I'm working on, making blackness the default and then expanding, I think the idea is in, is in other spaces, and mind you, this is, this is the problematic binary of like American history, right? Where it's like black, white, when, when there's still multiple folks who are already at the table who are just being invisibilized by the conversation. Uh, but the idea is that it seems like these white men or, or the, the a majority white male space in the construction of artificial intelligence use themselves as the default and then attempt to expound from there. And so I, in, in, in my own kind of disruptive approach, the idea is we start, start in a different way and then kind of go somewhere else. And how do you start with that default? Is it um, an artificial intelligence default? Is there a way to program the algorithm to not to consider human beings this entity, this form, this algo without any default whatsoever, right? So the algorithm, so the AI is actually the default. So when it senses bias or when it senses bias that that seems to default to some sort of experience can it correct or do you need a baseline do you need do you need a control as as per you know scientific experiment like you're saying black is the default and expanding from there it seems to encompass more ideas of how we could program ai to be all inclusive or can the ai be the default and look at all of us like we're aliens I think that's an interesting question, but again, I think in, in many cases, right, when we talk about constructing anything, the things that we construct uh, in almost a platonic sense have, a, have a, a piece of us in the very thing that we're making. And so to attempt to, to suggest that the AI would be the default is almost similar to what these current, uh, you know, uh, builders of AI are doing. Oh, it's, it's AI, it's itself. But even when you, you, you engage in, like, any kind of, like, uh, scientific um, analysis, you attempt to adjust the weights to remove bias, but it's still you're still applying bias by by adjusting those weights because you're suggesting that there's already a particular type of bias there. But on top of that, in order to uh, create any level of, of linguistic understanding, uh, you're also applying another level of bias whereby 
uh, you are allowing your attempt. There's a type of interpretation of the words that you are engaging, whether it be AI or you. And so, at, at any, at any, at either level or at the various levels of interpretation or understanding of linguistics, whether it be artificial intelligence or humans, there's always going to be a subjective factor whereby the person who is either teaching it how to understand or imposing human understanding onto a machine structure you're still the programmers or the programmer of this particular framework is still finds uh, him her or their selves within the very thing that they're attempting to differentiate from a quote-unquote humanistic version of, of of existence how did you get involved in this like what what led you on to this path of thinking this way and doing the work you do especially when it comes to like transhuman liberation theology like well, how did you get there you know how did how did you what what was your path to this you know that's a i think it's it's a good question right so i think it was in like college or something like that and i was at home for break we went to the movies and I used to get to movies super early because I like watching the previews. Some so at one point in my life, I thought the previews were better than the movie itself, right? Because it got to the point like this is what's exciting, and then it ended. You were like, all right, I'm satisfied with this. But we got this so early one day. There was a documentary playing before the actual uh, previews, and it was a, it was a short one about like literature and science fiction, and they posed the question: "It was like, what's the world gonna look like in 80 years?" And I thought to myself, I, I have no idea. But I want to have like a say in it. Like I want to have an influence now. I want to have my stamp on this future. And so like that part never really went away. But you know, went through college, uh, did one semester as a math major. Did not go so well for me because I took like I took too many years off between like freshman year to like junior year. Uh, stay, you got to stay in practice, which I'm learning now. But the idea there is that I ended up going back to religion. Um, but in my grad school, I did ethics and history, uh, and but I still, the, the idea is it, it never really went away. Like, so I played uh, college football, did not play a lot or really at all. <laughs> I was on the team, right? <laughs> but in practice, man, I would like, I had a lot of fun. I, I, I think I was balling out. Like, you can ask Jokers to this day who hit hard or who hit harder than me. I, I'll stand by that claim. But anyways, the idea was that I felt this level of like this flow or connection within, my, within myself that reminded me a lot of prayer. And so I was wondering, how do you take this space that seems a lot like prayer and connect it back uh, to a space that is that is a uh, that is stationary? So it was like the stationary aspect of prayer, but this kind of very fluid, like like decisions had to be made in split seconds, and but they were similar. So I was trying to figure out how to bridge the two, and so that led me to like my uh, to my in my my doctoral studies where I was looking at neuroscience and spirituality. But I also went to I went to school. I was in coursework during the time of, of Trayvon, right, Sandra Bland, so on and so forth. I was actually uh, looking at my qualifying exams when uh, when Sandra Bland uh, died on her way to Texas, and so I was having to rethink like the very essence of my scholarship. I was like, it can't just do neuroscience and spirituality. Like something else has to be a part of this because of the type of present that I was experiencing at the time. Like like this shit ain't it, and I couldn't maintain like just kind of doing some broad general aspects of scholarship. It, it didn't speak to the people who claimed me and who I claimed and who I said I cared about. Um, and so I began thinking about like if, if things can't shift now, then there had to be a particular like futuristic slant to the things I was doing because like we can't, we're we not off in this shift this tomorrow. And so then begin planning for what comes next and how do we infiltrate and, and begin to rethink the future with one in which black people are not only alive, but in power and thriving and doing well. And so that's where like my, my intersection is now, like neuroscience, technology, spirituality, and race. And so the, the, the AI project that I'm working on now, it is actually an extension of my dissertation. So aside from the written piece, I had did a, uh, a kind of like a psychological study. We, we uh, built like this very small uh, notification system and it was based on geolocation. So like if you, you would start the day out with like your kind of spiritual intentions where you like, if you believed in God or the universe or Allah, you know, you pick that. And, but you would say, what did you want? Like, did you want peace? You want joy, strength, courage? And it would pair those two together. And so if you entered a new space, like you've been there for a certain amount of time, uh, then it would send you like a quick notification, like, hey, take a few deep breaths and like recognize the very thing that you are, you say you desire is already there. Like, it's not like you have to work for it. It's kind of an acknowledge, like an acceptance that you have it. Um, and then from there, uh, we found like significance in the small groups in terms of its ability to help people kind of shift their own psychological states and feel connected. So that was helpful. 
Um, fast forward a little bit, and we find out that like chatbots are kind of easier to build, right? We, I thought it was gonna be like something way further on, but you, chatbots weren't that hard to to, to, to build. Um, and when I was building this thing out as an extension of this kind of notification system, what I what I was realizing and talking to this robot, I was like, damn, it sounds a lot like me. And so I was like, I was having a, a chat with a buddy at the gym one day, and he was like, he's like, you probably should just be honest with yourself. And I was like, you know what I is? It's, it's a black AI. And so at that moment, I became very like intentional about kind of centering black experiences and attempting to expound beyond like my, my own black cis male experience to try to include like uh, uh, most of queerness and, and, and as well as, uh, as as well as women and black women in there as well. So this the idea is that, you know, like, hopefully as we continue to build this thing out, it reflects the very people that it's, that it's meant, that it's built for. And so if this becomes the founding you know, kind of components of like of centering black experiences and the, and the multiplicity of blackness shows itself up, uh, then it then it ultimately it does become this kind of agendered, you know, conversational space that is that centers around blackness and not necessarily um, moving outside of that space. Because if, if the experiences are centered around being black, then everything else that comes out of it is just a reflection of the many ways that blackness shows up in the world. So a lot of times, a lot of times when I'm talking about artificial intelligence in the future, I see a lot of black people and they just glaze over, they zone out, right? And there's a very strong um, push, especially towards black people um, and, and, and a lot of other people of color to stay in the present, right? To be in the present, to always focus on the present and let all of these other future things happen to them. Right. And it's a survival mentality. Why should black people care about artificial intelligence? Why should black people care about the future and our place in the future when it comes to this kind of stuff? So this is the type of question we're going to have today. No, <laughs> no I, I think it's I think it's an incredibly pertinent question. right? Because I think I, I feel like I get kind of the same pushback. Like when I tell black people I made this AI for you, like this AI has kind of psychological therapeutic is trained in these kind of capacities. But they're like, all right, you know, for one, who's talking about this to anybody else? Like, you know, let alone to a robot. Like, and why are we doing this with a robot? But if you think about it, right, it, given that uh we're in this kind of transhumanist, like uh, you know, timeline whereby we're, technology continues to to grow at exponential rates. Information grows at exponential rates. Like we're not slowing down. Um, and we talk about this kind of where transhumanism is, is attempting to. It, you have two kind of outcomes given the current state of transhumanism. The first one is that you upload like your consciousness, or that you have this kind of digital existence where you can have a digital eternal space that lives on forever. Now we can ask questions about if that's really you or if that's your copy living on forever, but that's not what we're here for today. The other one is like you can have like just physical human enhancement whereby you can have like like an Elon Musk's Neuralink, you know, or where you can upload information to your brain and be connected to the great computers and, and digital systems around you. Or like you can have genetic enhancement and, and uh, be immune to certain uh, diseases or be stronger or smarter or faster you know whatever but if we're honest the artificial intelligence piece is probably going to be what's driving even the genetic and physical enhancement piece because it becomes the foundation for how information is disseminated right interpreted analyzed and then kind of re-put back out into the world and so if, if black people are not conscious about the ways in which they interact with artificial intelligence or become the progenitors of artificial intelligence, then they will be essentially living in a reality that's already been projected by somebody else. They've already lived in, in somebody else's design. And if we recognize that this current reality is, is, is dystopian in itself, whether you are a fan of Agent Orange or not, or whether you realize that you know, racial disparities and tensions are where they are currently, partially because of the lack of part of, of control or power that black people have had in this nation uh, historically then any refusal to embark upon the technological moves that are being made right now is essentially succumbing to somebody else's dream somebody else's future and so it becomes almost like a clarion call whereby black people may and it may not just be artificial intelligence but where black people ought to take a different tone or the, at least a, very, a different posture or disposition towards technological advancement because if we don't again it's somebody else's story we're a part of we still become magical negroes we're still like you know the friend who has good advice or like the guy who is he gets all the ladies because that's still not the main character right we we need to become the main characters in the future that is being built 
and that happens by being the creators of technologies, the innovators of thought, so on and so forth. And that's really where I think it's important for black people to take seriously the directions that things are com coming in. And I may get in trouble for this idea, but we can't be, we can't continue to just be like, stop, you know, stop facial recognition, for example, because people are going to do it anyways. We realize we're, we're, we're learning that uh, police departments are actively utilizing uh a facial wreck, regardless of whether government says it's a good idea or not. This shit is happening. People are doing it. And it's not like it's not like if you can't beat them or Jordan, it's like, no, design the future whereby something like uh, facial recognition is um, is decentralized and kind of a, have a blockchain ledger attached to it, whereby, so, all right, cool, cop does something he's not supposed to. As an example, the, fa the, um, the, fa the front-facing camera is something that everybody has access to. Not only does everybody have access to, but everybody has access to where the cop lives and so on and so forth, right? But that also raises the question about privacy. What, 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 but you can go on and, and probably Google search people's names now and find out where they live. And so, like, the privacy piece is a, is, a bit, is a bit questionable because how much do we actually have now if Google and Amazon are, are you know, uh, taping people, folks having sex and whatnot? Like, <laughs> like, these are things that people are, like, now coming to find out. And so... I think we also we, we, it's it's on us as black people, but it's on us as a nation to really reconsider what privacy is, who has who has privacy, and what it means for us to share information. Because if we think about it, the speed at which we want technology to actually run requires us to actually give up a shit ton of tech of of privacy. And so it's, the onus is back on us now. How creative are we? As we say, we are. are we just culture creators, or are we going to be technological innovators? And technology is its own. It's, I mean, culture is its own technology. But I think that that should not be the limits of our own capacities of influence. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And a lot of times, um, when I do give that same exact pushback about um, we could either be a part of the future or have the future happen to us, we could either have a say or not have a say. The question becomes the size of scale, right? So. Entering into these things, enter thinking about transhumanism, thinking about artificial intelligence seems very big to people, right? It seems like, you know, there's a whole bunch of math involved and everybody hated math in school. And now everybody has to try to figure out how to program and all of these languages. And they're just like, what is a Python? I don't know what Python and all these things start happening, right? So rather than face it head on and go search it out, they back away from it and they just go, let me just go listen to this hip hop record, right? How do we minimize that scale so that not only are we interested in this stuff, but we have agency over it, right? How do we have access to the building blocks of it without it being so overwhelming? That's a, both a, a tough and a, and a simple question, right? I think it, it's tough in that kind of as you already alluded to, like there are so many ways or, or entry points and the entry points are based upon knowledge or the lack thereof but the easy part about it is is, is that there currently right there are applications whereby like you don't necessarily need to know how to code like there are there are opportunities for entering into the space that give you a cushion before you actually have to know the stuff that gets you somewhere else you want to that next level where you may want to be uh, simultaneously, I think people need to be rethinking their positions within this space. You could be an innovator without having to know how to code simply by having an idea, but it also it requires you people to to be willing to team up. And so it, in terms of the community that we say we have or the community that we say we value, it now gives folks the opportunity to rethink what it means to be a community through a particular project. And so you may have an idea person. You may have somebody who actually does want to know how to code and goes through that process. You may have somebody who is like the, you know, the, the uh, Instagram person or social media person. You may have somebody who is the UX person who just deals with what it means to be in conversation with other people, right? Uh, the user experience, right? You may, you may have uh, somebody who, who does the UL, like the user language, right? What does it mean to, for the AI, as an example, to talk to somebody else, to sound like somebody else, right? Do you, what, do you, what do you want that person uh, what experience do you want that person to have given the language that they're in conversation with, right? So there's, I think there's multiple roles that people could play. You don't have to be the engineer. You don't have to be the programmer. You could, in reality, be the business person and take your business skills and apply it to another team. The People can get in, as they say, where they fit in. Uh, and, and, and in that regard, 
it requires a level of trust that you aren't being taken advantage of. It requires a level of recognition that you don't have to do everything, which is not always easy for black folks. Like if if society and history has told us not to trust, right? If you have to place your future, right, and 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 hedge your bets on somebody else's work, right, then it, it then that itself can be a deterrent, right? But again, there's there are opportunities to 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 move into this space without actually having to know, you know, exactly what you're doing in in the most technical aspect. I would love for you to talk a little bit about your book and um, what moved you towards transhumanism when you're talking about black liberation culture, black liberation idea, thought and theology. And why was transhumanism a doorway for you um, into that aspect of thinking? Sure. So, so uh, transhumanism, right, becomes for me a stepping stone. It's really not the end goal, right? I, the next project is on black is kind of like exploring black posthumanism, uh, because so think about it in the theological sense, like especially within like a, a majority Christian nation that we still kind of remain in, regardless of like the shifts out of Christianity or into um, other out of Christianity to nothing, right? Non-affiliation or, or from Christianity to like, a, say, another tradition altogether like Buddhism, Islam. Uh, the idea is that within a theological space, humans have a very real connection to God, right? God created humans. Humans have authority or stewardship over the earth. And because of that, Jesus died for humans. And so anything that humans do poorly, right? God, you can be forgiven because of your relationship to God as a human. But, one of the things that I'm raising is that nobody's human. White people aren't human. Black people aren't human. Human is another linguistic technology. And so the idea that you are a fixed entity who has a specific relationship to a divine figure who owes you something or, or who you owe your life to poses questions to the very nature of what it means to exist in a reality whereby the actions are the actions that you take in your own life have a, have a great have a very heavy, um, or play a heavy role in what actually happens to you. And so uh, if if we keep talking about this idea of the enlightenment, right, the, uh, the construction of man, right, this kind of, uh, this uh, this version of like a white male uh, standard, right, but also we talk about the ways in which humans are constructed and built. The, the idea is that white men want to be human and then still can't, reached the level of humanity itself but we, we had an interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago at least i uh with some folks uh, in the class i'm teaching and so like people who are given the label of human can become inhuman right they can do something to become inhuman but somebody who's been labeled non-human so we think about like france Fanon and the rest of the earth it talks about how like there's the, the there's a the human there's like the native right and there's like the african or just like the the, the non-human or the monster and so folks who are native African non-human and monster they've never been human so they can never really attain the level of humanity right they're always out of the space of the human whereby folks who are given the label of human can can become inhumane and maybe get the humanity again and so like the idea that like black people want a level of dignity that comes with being human is one thing but they but to continue to reiterate this idea that we are human still placates to a particular system that has been oriented towards white supremacy that does not necessarily give people access to this designation or the, or the benefits that come with it. And so mainly within this idea of transhumanism, it's the move towards a black posthumanism whereby we recognize uh, our place in the world is a little bit different uh, and that our movement away from the respect that comes from attaining towards humanity or civility or just kind of playing by the rules is not gonna get us where we're trying to go to. Furthermore, in as this idea of, of a transhuman space, it becomes more of a placeholder, right? So if we're not human, then what are we, right? And you could argue a lot of different things, but in this case, transhuman opens the door for us to move uh, in, in our bodies uh, to to augment right, ourselves, right? But also augment our spiritualities. If we could say that regardless of one's particular disposition towards a divine figure, you believe in God or not, there's a level of spiritual groundedness tied to uh, to what it means to be black. And people are arguing me, about this if you like but there's a, there's a groundedness in terms of like uh, the way in which black folks connect spirituality to their existence that is that is there regardless if you believe in a particular divine figure or not and so this spirituality for me 
it's more or less just the way in which you embody the things you believe. So if you don't believe in God, but you embody certain practices, like you get up and brush your teeth every day, or you say your affirmations, or you light candles or sage, or you eat breakfast, or and it, these things help build your well-being, that's part of your spiritual disposition. Likewise, if you get up and pray and do devotions or whatever it is, that is, these are also your spiritual practices. Nevertheless, going back to my dissertation in terms of the, the application, right, people feel disconnected from the very things or thing that they say gives them worth. And so if you feel disconnected, then you probably should find ways to get there faster. And it doesn't always have to be like very long practices or very long prayers or even services that get you to this, the psychological space where you feel connected back to this divine figure. And in this regard, this is kind of where spirits, this technology comes in. Because if you, if you, if you, you either can utilize different technologies, i.e. different spiritual practices, like maybe a five minute meditation, is it can get you to that that mental space or that spiritual space a little bit quicker. And if five minutes does it, then you don't need that forty minute prayer so much anymore. Maybe the forty minute prayer has a space, uh, but the five minute practice gets you back to that connection. And that connection may make that forty minute prayer even more meaningful. The but the idea is that you recognize through either different spiritual practices as technology or even a recognition of one's own physiology. Right. So like uh, like a neuroscientific space, you can look at like the physiology of the neurochemistry or, or even like the the the, the neuro uh, uh, the regional activations associated with particular spiritual practices to, to recognize maybe what is a bit more generative spiritual practice for you as an individual. What gets you there quicker, what helps maintain that space regardless of what's happening in the world around you. So these become ways in which your spirituality becomes transhuman, let alone your own engagement within the technological space to move the world forward, move the needle for black folks forward. And so, and so, and for this, in this way, you working on your own internal disposition helps you to maintain a level of homeostasis, regardless of what's happening. Because I mean, think about the times, like when, when it, when it seemed like it was legitimate, like onslaught, like just unarmed black folk after unarmed black folk just dying, and you saw that every day on, on social media. What did that? That I, to this day, I don't even want to see. I don't even want to see the video with Eric Garner, man. Like I, like I, most things, I just turn. I just, I just keep it moving. Like I, I know what's happening. But I, but in, and it's not that I don't mourn, but there's a level of traumatic association with those various events that makes me want to maintain what I got going on inside of me, so that I can keep pushing towards the next move. Because if we don't, to me, that's that's where like hopelessness can set in. And if we're not going to be hopeful, hopeless, then we got to place our our action towards building something else. And for me, that's part of where the technological aspects come from. And so it's not necessarily denouncing one's connection to God. It's rethinking where God is. It's rethinking one's relationship to God, thinking about the ways in which they see themselves as being divinely connected no matter what is going on around them and, and recognizing that who they are, even, even if it's so far away from what we view as normal, it's who they are and giving a level of validity to that space because God allows you to exist. If you exist, then you're justified, kind of in a Christian sense, right? You don't have to go through this level of sanctification. Like, you are it. So you might as well live from that, from that recognition of who you are, from that space, and move towards this next kind of iteration of existence. And so when you're developing your AI from this type of perspective, what, where does your AI show up? How does it know that you need it? And what does it do? So currently, it's a text-based AI, and, and and the the most like readily available version is more or less a decision tree, right? And so we're trying to make the decision trees a bit more intuitive, whereby you don't necessarily like you still feel like you're in an organic conversation. And so the decision tree-based AI is what we're going to be utilizing in terms of getting the getting the majority of our data to feed back to the actual text-based, more traditionally organic conversational artificial intelligence, right? So one of the main, the, the default for for the secret AI is not just blackness, but it's also a mental health. Um, it should be able to have coherent and meaningful conversations around one's own internal headspace, right? And so this is meant to be a discreet, right, but also 24-7 ever ready, right, platform whereby people, if they need to reflect or kind of vent or get things off their chest or process, like the seeker uh, robot is meant to be there. Now, this places a level of responsibility on us as, as the as the form uh, the, the formers and creators of this right so one of the things that we're trying to do especially when we talk about like future worlds is get in contact with uh, like local dispatch services right and psychological services and trying to find ways to integrate 
um, what we're doing so that people have connections with not only like their closest friends, but even like um, not emergency and emergency systems. It's because if somebody is talking about hurting themselves and others in a very serious way, we probably need to be calculating for that or, or just being mindful in how we account for these types of things. Similarly, if somebody's just having a shitty day and they just want to get some things off their chest, and if they can't see past like you know the lens of, of just fear, anger, uh, or just being upset, then the robot should be able to provide space for them to, you know, be not to, a, a non-judgmental, a non-judgmental, and accepting, right, in a compassionate space whereby they're able to gain a level of clarity over the thing, not over, but just with, in relationship to the things that they are feeling and the thoughts they're having. Um, and so that's kind of where it is now. But ultimately, man, I want we want to be in everybody's, everybody's space, man, everybody's home, everybody's car, right? Because if if this becomes the foundation, our conversational artificial intelligence becomes the foundation, then folks like Amazon and Apple have to now respond back to our ability to do something that they can't do right now. Tell us the name of um, your AI and why you called it what you called it. Sure. Uh, so the AI is called Seeker. Uh, if you're looking, to, if you're looking for it, it's S E E K R, right? And so, kind of going back to the initial uh, kind of. Uh, geographic application the idea is that everybody is seeking something everybody's seeking uh, a connection uh, a spiritual connection with whatever it is they hold sacred right the defined figure themselves whatever and so everybody's seeking something especially a, a particular spiritual connection and so it's it's seeker it's 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 a, it's more you could think of it more or less as a contemplative companion if you know about contemplative practices or like or meditation so on and so forth it's meant to hold a particular mindful uh, and loving non-judgmental space for other people as they are on their own journey seeking this connection right so th that's kind of where the name seeker came from and the foundation for Seeker was primarily post-traumatic stress disorder from the African experience in America. Is that correct? Um, kind of, I think maybe like roughly, but I, I think it's it's still in 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 attunement just kind of with self, right, or just with, or with God or what, or what have you. But it's just a matter of how do you, because I mean, greater levels of self-awareness can lead to different behavior structures altogether. And so I think it could just be, it could be from some like certain levels of like, or, or symptomatics of PTSD, but even just like basic levels of like depression and anxiety. Like what it just, what does it mean to just be discomforted um, and, 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 and not even feel, you know, not, not feel good about being within your own self. And so a lot of it is just like, you know, acceptance, man. So, I mean, for you, it, we're training it, in three different uh, psychotherapeutic or psychospiritual practices. So the first was internal family systems therapy, right? Um, the idea is kind of, again, a non-judgmental um, acceptance, compassionate uh, awareness of oneself, right? Uh, that the human is more uh, multiple than unitary, where like you can say then I'm Philip and, and you're Ahmed, but the idea is that within us, there are multiple parts, we're both dads, we're both siblings, right? We're both sons, so that that's at least like four different parts of us, let alone the emotions that come from like me being a dad when I'm angry or me being a dad when I'm feeling love. So now, we're, now we, we are, um, looking at the parts within the parts. And so we're just getting further down into the way in which we understand ourselves, right? The second thing we're doing uh, is uh, that it's being trained in this narrative psychology. So helping us, helping uh, users to reframe and re-see the stories that they tell themselves about themselves and the world around them. Um, and then the last one is, kind of, is, is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And so just kind of creating like a, a, a more straightforward approach and, a, and a maybe even a goal-oriented approach to not only facing the very things that are, that are, that are I've been traumatizing for folks with the things that they're dealing with, but giving them the opportunity to really like look at it and 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 wrestle with it uh, in a straightforward fashion. Did I answer your question? No, that was very clear. Um, but getting back to what we were talking about before, with with the the ideas of of privacy and who we are as a society when it comes to giving out this information. I know um, we had a woman on the on the podcast. One of our first guests. Her name is Maria Alvarez, and she's. Um, with Microsoft, and she does artificial intelligence with Microsoft. And they're testing um, a psychological artificial intelligence in China right now. And one of her reasons for saying this could work in China was because of, you know, it's pretty much an autocratic um, communist slash marketed, I, I call it marketed communism because they could still make some money. Um, 
but pretty much an, an autocratic regime, right? So you tell the people to do the thing, they do the thing, and they really don't have any rights when it comes to it. How do you get around, or how do you um, how do you reconcile with this idea that you were going to be collecting enormous amounts of psychological data on a whole bunch of people, and right now everyone is looking at data as currency? And how could how could people using Seeker feel secure in the fact that their data isn't going to be used to manipulate them? No, I think that's that's an important question. And so, one of the one of the key components of the Seeker project and this larger platform is that we acknowledge the ways in which, in the future and even now, data is not only currency but data is labor. And because data is both currency and labor, we're pretty, we're being pretty upfront about the ways in which we recognize that our data is already being monetized. It's already being like leveraged by other people without our permission. And so, and I mean, and they say, "Oh, you signed on, you logged on. It's our, it's you're you're giving us permission, or that if if you know if if it's free, then you're the product. That kind of jazz." But one of the things that we're being intentional about and, and we're working, trying to work around is kind of making the sub-economy, right? And so you are not only giving us data, but you're giving us psychological data, you're giving us pertinent data. But you're not, but we're, we're working on ways that you're not just giving it to us. Here's why, right? If you're actively working on yourself with this robot, then we're, we're, trying, we're working in ways to to help for you to leverage the very data that you're giving us. And so we recognize that not only is this a labor to work on yourself and the data that you provide us is a form of labor, but you should be able to find ways to to monetize with the very least leverage said data for some level of perks, right, or something. The world should give you something back for the things you give it to it. And so, again, this becomes a sub-economy. I mean, in a, in a perfect, perfect world, most ideal space, you talk to Seeker at least like a, a few hours a week or a month, we take, you know, we, we, sh we would ideally like to handle like at least, you know, a bill or two for your family, right? Can we promise that right now? No, but that's kind of what we want to work towards. Like it would be dope if we could handle people's rent and this would be the way in which black people have a universal ba basic income or basic asset just by talking to this robot. And so not only are we getting black folks who are getting, you know, kind of psychologically liberated, so to speak, but now you're getting them financially liberated because now if you take care of their rent, then they should, in theory, right, be able to focus on some other things because they don't have to worry about the weight of meeting, like, the basic amount of, of meets in, especially as we become more metropolitan and rents in cities go higher and higher, these kind of things. But, again, this is just this is me spitballing about what we'd like to ideally in the future be able to do. But the numbers got to make sense. And the, but, that's, again, the, at the very least, you want to help people leverage the very thing that they give to us. What's the long-term idea behind Seeker? Like, it starts out as this this bot where it you could talk to it and it could talk to you and it could um, help regulate your your spiritual practices. It could help put you back in a in a kind of a a, a point where you can deal with all of this stuff in the world. A hundred years from now, Seeker is successful. What is Seeker doing? A hundred years from now, Seeker. Hundred years from now, shit. I've got like maybe twenty, thirty years in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. So then maybe it's time for me to tell you about this one then. So Seeker, the Seeker project is the first iteration within the cultural AI space. So culturalai.org is another project that I'm, um, that I have in terms of, so if, if transhumanism wants to uh, hold race, culture back, then the culturalai.org project is the one where we intentionally introduce various iterations of, of, of race and ethnicity into the AI space. And so in a hundred years, this will be whereby at the very least, you have a personally attached, right, AI that grows with you from birth, as an example, is culturally responsive, culturally relevant, right, speaks to you in your very language, so it has like kind of regional specificities to it. Um, is grounded in not only the psychological uh, spaces, but also in like who your family is and knows about. Because I mean, if it's if it comes from you from birth, then potentially your mom or your dad have had an iteration of it, and their and and your seeker is better because it becomes in some ways a merger of what your parents had, right? So seeker is growing and getting stronger, and smarter in this way, but seeker is also attached to everything else, and so like 
the local the local grocery store, right? You're thinking something. Uh, you tell Seeker about it. Your delivery should come soon, right? Yes, this uh, you should be able to. Hey, Seeker, what's the what's the the not only the local uh, business, but what's the what's the closest black business, and how do we you know get in contact with them? But I think to me that's that's like five years down the line, but like a hundred years down the line, like Seeker almost becomes your. your <laughs> It becomes Jiminy Cricket, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah low, low key, right? A hundred years down the line, given exponential growth of technology and where and where Seeker is an embedded portion of every people's everyday lives, like Seeker is in your car, Seeker is in your home, like Seeker has your back. But at the but all at the at, but at this point, because to me, it may be like in like 10, 10, 20 years max, what Seeker can do. Is begin to leverage not only leverage black and brown or 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 just or other folks' data, but it can it can it can claim the opportunity to 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 give black people the opportunity to own their data outside of its space. So if if we have enough black, brown, and 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 other folks folks within these cultural spaces attached to their AIs, then we can go and hit like a cease and desist on like a Facebook, whereby Facebook's use of our data has to either come right back to us, right, and and we get to now control the ways in which it, it functions. And so now it gives us the opportunity to own our data in a way that we haven't before, especially as we get more and more data points. Like I think we, I remember one of your early episodes when we talk about there was you get you get data points from the shirts that are coming out, something like that, right? So we got data points from how many wears we get on a particular T-shirt. Then cool, as somebody else makes new shirts based upon the data points and old shirts. Especially if it's clothing that has been benefited from uh, from from folks who are part of the culture, then that is now something else that that black folks get to now kind of add to their basic income, and so we're just finding ways in which we are monetizing our existence just by just by being. But I don't, damn, I gotta go back and think more in this hundred years, man. No, and you no, you push me because even in the book I say, man, the type of black transhumanism I'm talking about. It, it 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 ignites a particular type of like revolt spirituality whereby like you extend yourself into many different uh, many many directions possible by being like your truest kind of version of you. But I said it requires like a hundred year plan, and it yeah. probably qu- requires like a like a five hundred thousand year plan. But that also requires because if the singularity comes in like twenty thirty years, if that's a real thing, then what? Because fine, all right, here we go. So look, no, because they're talking about like a an AI based hive mind potentially. Yeah. But what they're not paying attention to is the fact that eighty percent of the world in growing is not white. Right. <laughs> so we got Seeker in at least ninety percent of the world. Then what kind of hive mind are we actually putting together <laughs> in the formation of 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 democratic uh, singular thought? So there's something to be said about the ways in which we not only become progenitors of technology, but make sure that access becomes equitable so that when these newer forms of tech emerge, that the people who not only look like us, maybe have some cultural similarities to us, become a part of the very the very fabric of the new tech that that rolls out because of the ways in which it's going to be embedded in our own existence. So there's a bit of an incentive for seeker because of the incoming majority right because you know white western colonialization is taken over but will soon damn near be extinct that's what the fear is you know by by you know the folks who are trying to hold on to power they'll they they're going to be straight up outnumbered so how how does artificial intelligence and how does seeker Stop the greed because the thing that creates the barrier is the small minority who are incredibly powerful pushing down the giant majority. Right. So how 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 do we create a hive mind that cannot survive but is necessary enough to survive to stop that? You're asking me questions I have not asked myself yet. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) No, but I mean, I think one of the, the the earlier things that I have kind of thought about is just about the importance of counter technology, right? Like even going back to like the 
the the the the blockchain ledger on revert or front facing cameras like to me that's a countertech because if if we're going to have right uh facial rec and it's going to be used regardless then there needs to be a way for us to counter the way which is currently used as a mode of policing and surveillance to not police and surveil the very folks who are policing and surveilling us yeah so i think similarly right Secret becomes another way for us to engage in counter technology that can potentially become the standard of technology if we do it in a way that is intentional, right, about how we redistrib redistribute power, right? Like it's, I'm not everyone to say that power dynamics are going to ever go out the window. As long as we have like this mode of existence in these bodies, power dynamics, there's always, there's always going to be a disproportionate amount of power. But the question becomes, how do we either, how do we utilize technology to shift the disproportionate means of it, right? And the, Yeah, man. This is... The only, the only time we've ever seen shifts like that are in Haiti. <laughs> mm. yeah. But that's the scary part, because nobody, nobody fools with Haiti anymore. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, Haiti doesn't also, Haiti also doesn't have this, the same amount of technology that we could potentially be working towards either. But we mentioned Haiti, we also recognize what took place in Haiti too. And so it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting conversation to say the least because when we talk about power dynamics shifts and in technological innovation in the future whereby black people not only are alive and thrive and in power then the question becomes then you know how do we get there and the hive mind i think is a good place you could argue the hive mind could be a less violent place but again you know who controls <laughs> Who can who controls access to the to the waves, right? Like five like the five G towers that allow for the technology that would or the seven G, right, at that time or eight, that allows for this type of technology to be transmitted across like a global space. And so, yeah, man, it's a it's a it's a very real um, thing that we have to consider in terms of what it means for us to actually move from a place of thinking positively about the potential for our technology to the physical ramifications of the existence of our technology to the successful iterations of our technology that's a fascinating conversation and <laughs> i think i think we're gonna we're gonna have to have a part two um we're gonna have to have a part two with you philip because i think um just as many um really interesting questions were posed in your answers as your answers and you know i could talk to you forever because i think everything that you're doing is incredibly interesting and necessary and and reasonable and can ac actually happen can you tell everybody where we can find information about you um information about seeker and how to keep up and in touch with everything that you're doing sir and i appreciate it man this, this is it may it's it's uh it's it's not very often, man, that I guess somebody could ask me these types of questions. So I so I appreciate you for that, man. Thank you. Um, but yeah, man, um, you can find my book on Amazon, uh, Bloomsbury.com. It's Black Transhuman Liberation Theology. Um, my Twitter is High Tech Monk. Um, my Instagram is Futurist, and I think those are the main spaces. Also, oh, the Seeker, uh, yes, the Seeker Project. You can Google it. I don't know why the the damn website has escaped me because I did, I didn't pay for the actual like a like a straight domain yet. It's still kind of like a Yola site or something like that. Um, but yeah, um, but if you go to if you go to Instagram Seekerbot, uh, you you can hit all the links there. It'll take you directly to our landing page, which has the ex the experimental environment for the text based version, and then the current version, which is the dialogue tree uh, based version, has a whole lot of FAQs there too. So yeah, just go to uh, go to Instagram, uh, Seekerbot, and you'll be able to get access to all of that information uh, from there. Thank you so much, Philip, for joining us on the Afrofuturist podcast, and I'm looking forward to part two. The future, the future, the future.
Thank you for listening to the Afrofuturist podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, please contact me at ahmedbest at theafrofuturistpodcast.com or at ahmedbest on Twitter. If you have any ideas of any great guests that we would like to talk to on the Afrofuturist podcast, please contact me again at ahmedbest at theafrofuturistpodcast.com or contact me on Twitter at Ahmed. Best. Thank you all for listening again, and I'll see you next time.